I was a little skeptical of it when the committee, the Blue Ribbon Committee, indicated they were going down this road. I thought, what? Really? Do away with the bar exam? Once you really learn about it, pull back the curtain, if you will, it makes tremendous sense. Frankly, this multi-state bar exam, in my view, it tests only one's ability to outwit 200 multiple choice questions and then uh, pass these eight essay questions that are graded by an unpredictable group of essay graders. It really has nothing to do with the functional mastery of the things that make a good lawyer, and that is judgment, compassion, preparation to help the clients. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams coming to you from a sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. Bob? And this is Bob Ambrosi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. And Craig, you don't want to know what the weather's like here today. I've seen it on the news, Bob. I feel so sorry for you. (laughs) We're in the 70s and 80s. Well, before we introduce today's topic, Bob, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio, who is an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Today, we're going to talk about Some proposed amendments to the Iowa student practice rules. Uh, These changes are notable because they would allow law school graduates who have applied to take the bar exam to practice law before they've completed the bar exam, as long as they do so under the supervision of the state attorney general's office, a public defender, or an approved legal aid group. Uh, It will also allow students to appear as defense counsel in criminal misdemeanors. Those proposed changes are backed by Iowa Legal Aid, which says that the rule changes would help the organization serve clients who are in need. Iowa Legal Aid says the organization is understaffed, and it pairs recent news that Iowa law students may be made exempt from taking the bar exam as long as they continue to practice within the state. I'm particularly excited for this show because I received my JD from the University of Iowa, and I've been an adjunct professor in the trial advocacy program at the University of Iowa. And in 1985, I was a student legal intern that tried cases and even briefed a case to the Iowa Supreme Court under the supervision of Barbara Schwartz, one of our guests today's colleagues. Well, that's great. And let's get to our guests. And uh, we have two guests with us today to discuss this topic. First off, let me introduce Guy Cook. Guy is the president of the Iowa State Bar Association He's been practicing law for over 30 years, during which time he has served as counsel in more than 1,000 litigated matters, has tried more than 200 jury trials. He's a senior partner at Grief and Sydney PLC and has successfully defended significant federal criminal cases and major business litigation. So thanks for joining us today, Guy Cook. Yes, thanks for having me. Also, I'm very proud to welcome John Whiston. He's a clinical professor of law at the University of Iowa College of Law, my alma mater. John teaches in the clinical law programs as well as matters like deposition practice, trial advocacy, workers' compensation. And he supervises the school's trial advocacy program and is a graduate of Yale University and the University of Montana, where he received his JD and graduated with high honors. Glad to have you on the show, John. Thank you, Craig. We need to get you back here. (laughs) I'd love to come back. You know that. Well, 
John, let's start with you. I kind of gave a little bit in the beginning that this program has existed in Iowa for some time. Let's describe what the program is for our listeners, and they're not all familiar with it, and what are the changes to it? Every state, as far as I know, has a student practice rule that governs the practice of law while they're in law school. And there's really a lot of variation across the country. So, for instance, in California, you're able to do it after one year. In some states, it's very restrictive. When I was a law student in Montana, it was very liberal. Uh, Basically, as long as there was a practicing lawyer looking over my shoulder, I could do just about anything. Here in Iowa, we are kind of in the middle of the road, as you would expect with Iowa. You become eligible to practice under the student practice rule when you're halfway through your legal education, basically after a year and a half. It has to be done in the context of a legal education program. And so we have two law schools here in the state, Drake in Des Moines and then the University of Iowa City here in Iowa City. And so both schools have extensive clinics, both in-house clinics and a series of externships. And so for years and years, a lot of those externs, people who are working away from the law school, have been working in various legal aid or legal service offices. And this change was generated, as you mentioned, at the initiative of legal aid. They wanted to expand the number of students that they could use. They wanted to use them in different ways. And particularly, they wanted to be able to have them come back after they graduate in that interim between when they graduate and when they're actually admitted to practice law. And Guy Cook, from your seat as president of the state bar, what's the state bar's position on this? And what's the members' response to the proposal been so far? Well, I frankly think it's a win-win not only for the students, but for the potential clients. It takes advantage of these young, bright folks graduating from law school who who are anxious to get out in practice but are delayed because of waiting for bar exam results, which is a whole other question that we can get to later. But it's a great proposal. I think it serves a need that is out there, and it gives the students experience while they're waiting, precisely when they're most anxious to get experience and to get into the practice. And so this applies only during that window. Is that right? In other words, from the time that they graduate, as long as they're uh, in the process of taking the bar and until they get the results, they can practice law under supervision. I've also, a little confused, I've also read reports about perhaps doing away with the bar exam altogether for students who attend law school in Iowa. Is that part of this proposal? It's a separate and distinct proposal and a much bigger proposal in terms of change, something I think is really a forward-thinking, innovative approach to meeting legal needs and getting the debt reduced for students who are graduating from law school. But let me go back to the subject of the student practice. I had the great fortune of doing this 30 years ago in a county attorney's office in the largest county in the state. And it was a tremendous experience. I tried five jury trials under supervision, and I know many other students since then have had great experience doing that. And this proposal that you spoke about to begin with and that Professor Weston spoke about is expanding that to create opportunities for the students and to meet the needs of those who are underserved in terms of access to justice. The change in the student practice rule, the main change that it would work would be in that window after graduation. There's some tweaking that is being done about how people would practice under the student practice rule while they are in law school, basically to accommodate some of the concerns from legal aid. 
and then the proposal that the bar exam be done away with, as Guy suggests, that's a completely different and much more controversial proposal. Let me give you a little background. First of all, when I became bar president, one of the things that I was focused on was the next generation of lawyers, those who come after us, and making sure the ladder is down for their success. And one of my president letters, I have to write one every month, in November addressed this question of the changing nature of legal education and the practice of law, quoting the speech of President Kennedy more than 50 years ago when he said, we stand on the edge of a new frontier. That's exactly where we are in terms of legal education and the practice of law, mostly as a result of the digital revolution. But when I became bar president, because of initiatives of of looking out for the next generation, I created a committee, and it was approved by the Board of Governors, called the Blue Ribbon Committee on Legal Education and Licensure, made up of the deans of both law schools in the state, uh, Dean Agarwal and Dean Vestal, lawyers and judges from around the state, young and old, conservative and liberal, including a Supreme Court justice and a Court of Appeals judge. And they were charged with look for improvements that could be made in legal education and licensure. They met over a span of six months, had a number of lengthy meetings, reviewed a lot of data and law review articles and and other materials. And one of their proposals, the one that we're speaking about now, is a proposal to change the manner in which lawyers are licensed in Iowa. And there's been a fair amount of misinformation about it, so let me be very specific. The proposal does two things. One, it does away with use of the multi-state bar exam, which a number of states presently use, and adopts the uniform bar exam, or the UBE, which presently 14 states have, three that surround Iowa. And a student passed that test, of course, uh, under the rules of the UBE. It's the license is essentially portable immediately in compliance with those states' obligations. It also does a second thing, and that's for lawyers who don't believe they'll leave the state of Iowa, that they want to practice in Iowa. It grants them the so-called diploma privilege, which is presently in use in Wisconsin and has been used in other states in the past. And the privilege is this. If the student completes a span of three years of law school, specified coursework as approved by the Supreme Court, including courses on Iowa practice and procedure, and they meet the fitness and character requirements already in place, and they pass the ethics multi-state test, if they complete all those things, upon graduation, they would be granted the privilege of practicing without having to take the bar exam. So that's a quick summary of it. And I think for a lot of people, it's at first counterintuitive. Sometimes it's sort of a knee-jerk reaction. I took the bar exam. You know, I, I walked uphill to school barefoot. You have to also. That kind of thing. Or this notion that somehow the bar exam prevents the incompetent from garnering a license in Iowa. Some of that is based really upon misinformation. For example, presently some 94% of all test takers from the University of Iowa and Drake who take the Iowa bar exam pass, and of the 6% who don't pass the first time, even a higher number pass on the second time. So it really does not serve as any sort of weeding out of incompetence. Uh, Frankly, one of the things that's little known, I think, by the public is that multi-state bar exam does not test on Iowa law. So it's not weeding people out and it doesn't test on Iowa law, and there should be a better way to, to measure competency, and that's what this proposal does, and that's kind of a quick summary, and I'm happy to give more detail as we go along. Well, John, we suspect that the students at the University of the College of Law are thrilled to hear that kind of a proposal, but what's the local reaction among the professors and the lawyers? 
I agree 100% with Guy that the profession is on the verge of some kind of new frontier, some kind of inflection point in how we practice law and how we train people to be lawyers. As you suggest, the students think this is just a great idea. And even Above the Law, the blog said that, wow, this is something that will lead people to Iowa. I'm a clinic professor, so I'm kind of half lawyer, half professor, so my students and I are over at the courthouse almost every day, and it's a real topic of conversation, sitting around waiting for judges to conduct pretrial conferences. My sense is that among the lawyers that I've talked with and the professors I've talked about, it's agnostic at this point, that they're persuadable, but it's a conservative profession in many ways, and so they're not completely convinced of the rationale that Guy just laid out. Let me give some of the reasoning behind it, because as I said, it is counterintuitive. Frankly, I was a little skeptical of it when the committee, the Blue Ribbon Committee, indicated they were going down this road. I thought, what, really? Do away with the bar exam? Once you really learn about it, pull back the curtain, if you will, it makes tremendous sense. For example, as I mentioned, the Iowa bar exam presently doesn't test on Iowa law. And frankly, this multi-state bar exam In my view, it tests only one's ability to outwit 200 multiple-choice questions and then uh, pass these eight essay questions that are graded by an unpredictable group of essay graders. It really has nothing to do with the functional mastery of the things that make a good lawyer, and that is judgment, compassion, preparation to help the clients. I think some people would say the bar exam really serves no purpose other than a final hazing. There's also some skeptical commentary. What does it really do? Well, it enriches the prep services. They're certainly doing well with it. It enriches the testing service, which ironically is headquartered in Wisconsin, which has the diploma privilege. And it keeps these qualified, ambitious, energetic applicants in limbo for almost six months relating to the other topic we spoke about to try to take advantage of their waiting where they could serve the public. And as I mentioned, does not really serve to weed anybody out. The real question is, How can we ensure that students who are admitted to practice are competent? And there certainly are good reasons for something like a bar exam when it was conceived. It tests basic competency in certain areas, a sensible approach. But if a degree from one of the two excellent law schools in the state of Iowa, the University of Iowa, highly rated, a national law school, Drake University Law School, which is a regional law school but highly recognized for its clinical programs, if a degree from those two schools doesn't serve the basic competency function, then we really need to look at the core curriculum that those schools are teaching, and I think it does. I mean, some people say, I've heard you complain about the bar exam, multiple choice, and and so on and so forth. Why don't we improve the test? And I say, you know what? That's a good idea. How about instead of one test over two days, how about several tests over several weeks? No, how about several tests over a semester? No, even better. How about several tests over three years, like a law school? So, I think that when you drill down on it, you can see that the diploma privilege does just that. It ensures competency. It requires satisfactory completion over three years of specified coursework. And one of the things it does here in Iowa is it puts back in the hands of the governmental officials here, the Iowa Supreme Court, precisely what is required to be competent in Iowa, and then works the process of the Supreme Court and the law schools being collaborative in how they train and qualify and ensure competence for the next generation of lawyers. Frankly, demanding that people shovel huge amounts of obscure knowledge over dozens of subjects into their head for a one-time test is a surefire way to minimize retention. And it certainly undercuts the stated goal of 
minimum mastery of the subject area. Guy, we need to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. We'll turn back to you right after our commercial break. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pr- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in, less than, in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are talking about changes to Iowa's student practice rule, proposed changes to Iowa's student practice rule, and perhaps also to its bar admission requirement with Guy Cook, the president of the Iowa State Bar Association, and John Whiston, clinical professor of law at the University of Iowa. And and Guy, I do want to circle back to you, but I, I wanted to ask the other side of the, the kind of the joke about the bar exam, at least back when I took it, which was quite a while ago, was that there were a lot of people who used to say, well, they didn't learn any law until they had to study for the bar exam, that law school didn't teach them anything about the law. It seems to me that the success of either of these programs, whether it's extending the student practice rule beyond graduation or this idea of perhaps waiving the bar exam requirement, really hinges on how well law schools prepare students for the realities of law practice. And John, I I wonder what you think about that. I mean, it it seems that this puts kind of increased pressure on law schools to provide the kind of practical skills that law schools are often accused of not providing. I think Guy brings up a very important question here, and it's something that the legal education community has been looking at really closely in the last couple of years. There is a proposal at the ABA right now to require law schools to require their students to do 15 credits, basically one-sixth of their law school education, in some kind of experiential, practically-based classwork, a clinic, an externship, a simulation class. And as I understand it, just with a real quick Google search, um, this is something that the California Bar has just adopted in October. And so I think that the academia is trying to figure out a way to better and more efficiently and less expensively prepare people for the practice of law. And Guy, I see the benefits that you're talking about in terms of suspending the bar exam. I'm going to throw out a personal example for you and see if I can get your reaction to it. I did not take a bankruptcy class in law school, and we took the bar in Iowa roughly the same time, you and I, because we've been in practice roughly the same amount of time. And at the time we were taking the bar, 
you had seven questions in each session. You could not answer two of them, but you had to answer five. One of the five that I chose to answer was a bankruptcy question. I remember the question. Yeah. It was how many years before you can file again? All right. Because of the bar review, I was able to answer that question, and I was able to get some kind of background that I've been able to continue to develop and learn on in my practice. You're going to lose that if you get rid of the prep classes and the bar exam. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think your experience might be unique in canvassing this. I don't think there are too many lawyers who really remember anything that they studied for the bar exam. They remember what they studied in the law school. At least that's my experience. It is interesting you bring up that test because I, <laughs> I think we might have taken the same test because I remember answering the bar exam question. I couldn't find five out of the seven that I felt comfortable with, and so I had to take a stab at the bankruptcy question, and I happened to know the answer, and that was how many years passed between when you can file a second time. I think that experience is unique. I really do think that it goes to what you talked about earlier, and that is this proposal has the opportunity to ensure that the, the law schools and the Supreme Court and the bar are working in a collaborative way so that the core courses that we think demonstrate competence successfully completing those courses is what you should know if you want to practice law through this diploma privilege. If you want to take comparative law in Bosnia, have at it, but you're going to have to take a bar exam. And so it really does have the opportunity to retool a little bit and strengthen the core curriculum that students might study if they wish to avoid taking a uniform bar exam and wish to take advantage of the diploma privilege. Before we took the break, I wanted to tell you some of the benefits that this proposal throws off. They were not the drivers for this. The drivers were how can we do better, how can we have a better measure of competence, which is sometimes how this proposal is, is sort of misguided or demagogued, and that is why would you get rid of the test to measure competence? We're not getting rid of anything to measure competence. We're trying to do it in a better way under this proposal, a more effective way. But what it does is, first of all, there's in the proposal, there's work done by the committee on how much money can be saved or generated by these students by getting to work sooner rather than having to wait five or six months. And so it helps them reduce their debt. It also has the possibility of allowing these students to go into practice in the public sector or some rural areas where maybe the starting pay is not as high because they're getting to work sooner and they have a better opportunity to start to pay down their debt. And it also, I think, in a state like Iowa, really has the opportunity to stop the brain drain. People come here to go to law school and, and then disappear elsewhere, like California. There have been a few who have done and, that. Uh, Craig, he's looking at you. I think so. And, and several of my classmates, by the way. <laughs> so it has that opportunity. And so I think it really is a win-win for folks. And the privilege to practice law and the measure of competence can be done a number of different ways. And we think that this is a unique, innovative approach. It doesn't apply everywhere. It wouldn't apply, say, in Florida or New York where there are more law schools and different degrees of excellence in terms of their programs, or even law schools that are unaccredited. And in fact, someone said to me, well, what about my cousin Vinny? I said, right. Well, my cousin Vinny was in New York, and maybe he went to Ed's Drive-In Law School in Taxidermy. I don't know where he went. But this is not a proposal for every state. And there's an interesting law review article that was written in 2000 that the committee came across after they had gone down this path which was interesting because it's uh, titled the Wisconsin Diploma Privilege, Try It, You'll Like It. And it goes through a uh, discussion of, of how it works in Wisconsin. And ironically, written in 2000, it concludes with a recommendation that be considered by six or eight, ten states. One of them is Iowa. And the reason for that, as I mentioned, two law schools, excellent reputation, 
already a good working relationship. The nature of the practice, fairly homogeneous. Take, for example, the New York example. Somebody in upstate New York is not doing the same kind of work that somebody in Manhattan is doing. We're coming close to the end of our program here. We need to wrap up with our final thoughts and contact information, if we may. So I'd like to turn it over to John at this point. I want to resist the choice that Guy is seemingly offering, and that is I agree with him that bar review courses really don't prepare people much to be able to practice law. I also think that kind of classic law school instruction oftentimes does not either. It does not kind of teach students to the bone what they need to internalize in order to be good lawyers. And so I think changes in legal education that emphasize the practical skills of lawyering that are done in clinics or externships or simulation class has to be a part of this discussion. If somebody wants to talk about the Iowa experience with me or that proposal for uh, law school reform, uh, you can reach me at john-whiston, W-H-I-S-T-O-N, at uiowa.edu. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Guy? Well, I think the diploma privilege is a sensible alternative to the bar exam in Iowa with many positive attributes, as I mentioned. The fact that we don't consider change is, frankly, an indictment of our profession, our blind conservatism and fear of change. We can and must do better for the next generation of lawyers, and this is an alternative that gets there. One other thing I would say, when this proposal went through the committee, it was a unanimous support by both deans of the law schools and all of the people on the committee. It was taken to the 45 members of the Board of Governors of the State Bar and vigorously debated unanimous support. So it is counterintuitive. I'd invite people to go to the Iowa Bar Association, which is iowabar.org, www.iowabar.org. Page one is more information about this, and I can be reached at gcook at griefsydney.com or just type in Guy Cook on Google. You'll get the website. Excellent. And grief is G-R-E-F-E. G-R-E-F-E, Sydney, S-I-D-N-E-Y. Excellent. Well, now we've come to the point in the show where Bob and I have 30 seconds to share our closing thoughts before we're cut off by the buzzer. So, Bob, your turn. Craig, the Legal Services Corporation estimates that there are only about 20% of the civil legal needs of low-income people in the United States are being met by existing services. It seems to me that both of these programs, the, the student practice proposal and the, the bar proposal, could quite possibly funnel lawyers into public service jobs. And I, I think that's an important thing. Uh, students working under this rule would essentially have to work in public service jobs, as I read the proposal, and that may well set them off down that path for their careers, for all we know. So I think these both sound like really promising proposals and worthy of and you support. You got buzzed, Bob. I didn't hear it. <laughs> so I'll just keep talking. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. Well, myself, a beneficiary of Iowa's student intern program, I'm all for the changes that John and Guy have talked about. I think they would make a great addition to the program and certainly allow some students to get in there and service some folks a little bit more that aren't being serviced right now. The idea about eliminating the bar exam, and Guy, I think, is exactly right. You know, my initial knee-jerk reaction is, what? But after listening to him and, and thinking about it, it makes sense. So I'm all for it. Guy and John, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. And talk about these interesting proposals. Thank you. Thanks so much, and I appreciate your passion for the law. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end of our show. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes.
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.